Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 181 of The Body Nerd Show. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Alyssa Olenek, and she's sharing how training impacts the menstrual cycle, including pre, peri, and postmenopausal, why you don't need to worry about syncing your workouts to your cycle, and why focusing on nutrition and sleep are a better bet for improving performance. Now, if you're not following Docless on Instagram, you are missing out. And I can't remember how exactly she came across my feed, but it was about the time that I was talking about your hormones and menstruation and how it affects your workouts way back in episode 111. And what struck me about what she was sharing is number one, she's super freaking smart. I mean, she has a PhD in exercise physiology. Like, we'll just start there. Uh, and secondly, she kept saying, like, no, you don't need to cycle sync. And that actually is kind of a ridiculous notion. And here's the research that backs it up. Or honestly, a lot of here's the research that doesn't show that to be true. And I've talked about this before, how there's so much of a like a gaping black hole when it comes to research about doing research on people who menstruate uh, because it's easier to do research on people who don't menstruate because there's less variables. So she is that person. She is doing research around hormones, the menstrual cycle on people who menstruate uh, to get some data that can actually inform us better about how we should be moving and working out. And on Instagram, she shares her workouts, her uh, hybrid training. So she is a power lifter and a runner, which is awesome. And people who are deeply embedded within each one of those communities are going to tell you like, no, you can't do both. She does not both. Uh, and also a lot of conversation around fueling yourself adequately for your workouts. And she is strong as hell. <laughs> she recently did this post about how she only lifts three times a week. And it was just so much of a relief, even for me, because I do my strength training three times a week. And like, I mean, just to be fully transparent, like I also feel like it's not enough. Like I'm not doing enough. Like I should be doing more. And like, I'm a fraud, like imposter syndrome. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, and again, she's strong as hell. And she also lifts three times a week. And so I just love so much of how she empowers you to just get out there to continue to lift heavy, to start lifting heavy, and then backs it up with all the research that she's doing in the lab. So I also bring up the past episode I did on this, episode 111. I really do like the symmetry of those numbers, but whatever. <laughs> it was all about the effect that hormones have on your physiology. And she has a lot to say on that. And mostly that is just bananas. So this episode also for me is an opportunity to be fully transparent and say that I was wrong. Like full stop. I was wrong. Uh, I am learning and I'm never going to stop learning. So let's keep learning together. And especially from brilliant people uh, like Doc Liss. 
So a little bit about her, Dr. Alyssa Olenek holds a PhD in exercise physiology and is a certified sports nutritionist and CrossFit level one trainer. She completed her doctoral training in exercise and postprandial metabolism. As a side note, postprandial means after meals. So we all just learned a new word together. I did have to Google it. <laughs> Specifically, it, uh, her research focuses on the areas of metabolic flexibility, sex differences, and menstrual cycle physiology. She runs her online business, Docless Fitness, and is a strength athlete, ultra marathon runner, and all around fitness lover who is passionate about educating people on science based fitness to get them into the gyms and out on the roads and trails, or often doing both at the same time. So, if just from her bio alone, you're like, oh man, Alex, you guys totally nerded out, you would be one million percent correct. We absolutely nerded out. So enjoy my conversation with Dr. Alyssa Olenek. Liz, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, let's start where I always start, which is what do you like to get nerdy about? Yeah. So um, I guess that's like a segue to my introduction to myself because I mean, I'm not the only nerdy person online, quote unquote, but um, <laughs> I mean, I like to... I like to dive into the science. That's what I do. I guess my job is quote unquote, a nerdy job, so to speak. Um, maybe changing the stereotype of what people think a typical nerd is. I think we're just curious people who like to learn and, um, you, there's not like a type of person that has to meet that standard. So anyway, um, so for those who don't know me, I'm, am Dr. Alyssa Lenick. I'm so nerdy. I went to school for 11 years <laughs> and I'm still continuing to do training and learning beyond that. So, um, my degrees are in exercise physiology. And so I really, really love the way our human body works specifically under like in response to exercise and nutrition and what we eat and how we move and all of that stuff. I'm a big metabolism energy system nerd. Uh, so those are like really specifically what I'm, I really am excited about. So how can we perform better? How can we move better? And how can we use that to support our metabolic health function and outcomes within that? And so I think sometimes it can seem confusing when I'm like care about these things in relation to performance, but the things that we do and the way we respond to exercise also impacts our health at the end of the day too. So um, they aren't either or, it's both. So I really, really love just really the, that way metabolism regulates everything that we do um, from how we move to how we eat to how we respond to those things. So I am a full physiology nerd. Yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, well now I have like 9,000 other questions on other things <laughs> I want to ask you too. So I'll have to go read all of your research now. Um, but one of the specific areas of focus that you have is also into hormones and how they impact training, right? Yes. So my dissertation, um, so I've never done a study that was only on men. So that's like one of my like bragging points of my research. I kind of got in a female phase kind of by accident, kind of by like stubbornly leading my own way. Um, but I've always done data collection. I've always researched women. Um, and so I got to one point in my PhD where I was just like, okay, well, does the menstrual cycle affect this question that I've been asking anyway? And so I kind of started to dive down the rabbit hole of sex differences, um, menstrual cycle and oral contraceptive impacts on, um, exercise and postperineal metabolism and just our general metabolic health. Um, as a whole. And now I'm currently doing my training in menopause. So I'm kind of transitioning mm. across the full lifespan um, and continuing my training in the menopause area. So I kind of like 
have that breadth and depth from like performance and young, healthy people, but all the way to like health and disease outcomes and what this stuff means long-term. So I have that full lifespan for anyone who um, menstruates and goes through the menopause transition because there's, you know, we have so many different fluctuations across our lifespan and it exercise performance and health matter across all those. Yeah. Well, and does it matter as much as some of the uh, almost want to say like influencer kind of accounts would want you to think. Cause again, like I've done episodes on, okay, well, if you're in, you know, the luteal phase of your menstruation cycle, you need to do this versus that versus this, like, does it matter as much as some people would like us to think? So there's like two big sides of the industry right now. And it's, well, there's two conversations happening within the science realm. And then there's two conversations happening in the industry. In the science realm, it's kind of like, hey, these hormones probably matter and we don't have a lot of data versus like the conversation of like, honestly, some of these other stressors are probably greater than the fluctuations of hormones. So do they really actually matter versus like, Mm. how do we manage like people's reported symptoms and effects, right? Um, Versus the fitness industry right now is like, is this going to kill you versus like, we are all exactly men, like kind of is like conversation happening. So I think it's getting really confusing for people because like with the, it's the same thing with everything else, what the academics are talking about and the industry is Mm -hmm. talking about are sometimes not the same thing because the people that have been leading this work far ahead of me aren't on social media because they're just busy doing science. And I'm sure anyone who Mm -hmm. follows me can see how hard it is for me to keep up with what I'm doing on top of like everything else. Um, And so I think people like, some people probably think that I understate the effects of the hormones. And I think that a lot of people forget how many stressors impact performance and health on top of just that. Like they aren't the key major life crux regulators. If they were like us as a species would have made it this far. If women completely shriveled up and couldn't do anything for 10 days a month, like you have to have that, that context of that. Right. So when it comes to our exercise and performance, like hormonal fluctuations probably do have small and potentially meaningful impacts on our performance. Um, if anything, honestly, maybe like a better way to think of it is that what we're trying to figure out is not even performance because the, the performance data really doesn't show that it's really affected across the month much at all other than like the very late luteal phase and sometimes the early menstrual cycle phase. So maybe like three days of the month, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really mixed. But otherwise, like performance appears to be mostly consistent across the month or it's so messy and so mixed that we can't really say for sure. Um, at this time, but the better question is, and this is where the data is really lacking is like, okay, but what about potential? Like, what if we're training, does there better adaptations of these certain things at certain points in time? So, um, and then there's a question of like, are these hurting our health if we're doing certain things at certain points in time? And so at this point in time, for 90% of the people listening to this podcast, the things that are bigger rocks that influence your health and your performance are going to be your nutrition. Like there was a paper that came out and I wish I had the citation, um, up off the top of my head, but it was talking about like nutritional needs and how there's their uniqueness to female athletes and trainees. And I love this thing because it actually meets my bias because earlier before the paper came out last year, I had made a post of like my hierarchy of hormone training needs. And it was so super similar to this where it puts hormone periodization for nutrition or training at the very top of this pyramid. That doesn't mean that it should never happen. It means that like people are often missing the forest for the trees and that really the things that like really impact performance and health when we're talking about menstruating and female trainees at the bottom of this pyramid and everything. And we know this, but like people don't want to hear it is what you're eating. Are you Mm -hmm. eating enough? Are you supporting Mm -hmm. it? Because the things that 
influence muscle gain or loss, and influences like protein synthesis, influences your hormonal health, um, are eating enough, eating enough protein, eating enough carbs, eating enough calories, because being in an under like fed, low energy availability state or having hypothalamic amenorrhea where you have lost the cycle is more stressful on your body and your performance is more stressful on your body than being well fed and doing those things. So like, I think people think they're like, oh, this is just like the person who always like pushes eating on us. And I'm like, but there's good reason because the strongest data yeah. we have, the best data, some of the like actual really good data that we have on female and menstruating individuals is low energy availability information and how that affects these things. Like we have like a pretty good consensus in the field that this matters and it matters a lot. Like that's not just like me being like, Oh, this stuff doesn't matter at all. Just eat and you'll begin fine. No, but like, these are like really important. Um, and when we're talking about like gen pop people who aren't perfectly able to regulate their sleep and stress, maybe like an elite athlete, how much those things impact your metabolism, your health, your cortisol, your stress, Mm -hmm. your inflammation, um, your recovery, all of these things. So again, it doesn't mean that your hormones might not change the way you feel across the month, but those things may have a bigger influence on those fluctuations across the month. And so this is always like my thing where I tell people, I'm like, you know, eating enough and sleeping and regulating stress accounts for like 80 to 90% of what most quote unquote cycle syncing influencer are like exercise destroyed my body. And I'm like, no, you stopped training six days a week, followed a better training program and like probably started indirectly eating better, high quality food and more because you were focusing on like quote unquote, like hormone supporting eating. Well, you were just Mm -hmm. improved your diet quality. So we have to like think about these conversations in that context. So next up on this is we have to look at our training programs, right? People love to blame exercise and say you should do certain things across the month. But like, if you're not following, if you're not doing things consistently to begin with, then like, that's where you need to start, right? You're not, you need to like have some sort of semblance of like a regular routine, whether that's just for activity and health or if it's for specific performance, right? So if you're just training for activity and health, like the cycle syncing stuff really just comes down to like, what can we do to keep you the most active, right? Like if you feel like absolute garbage, every day on the first day of your period every month, just like plan on taking that as a rest day and move on with your life and do whatever you need to do to stay active the rest of the time at the highest activity levels that you can sustain meeting the physical activity guidelines and like doing at least like a bare minimum of three 30 minute cardio sessions a week and like two resistance training sessions a week. Like get in what you can lower your barrier to entry. Don't worry about all this stuff. Like if you feel like shit, I don't know if I can swear in your podcast. You can go for it. Like people forget that like if you feel bad or you're overworked or you're stressed, you don't need like I think like a lot of women are looking for that validation that their period is like giving them that like get out of jail free card to be like, I'm exhausted, but you're allowed to say that without having mm-hmm. to like cycle sync. You're allowed to say, you know what? I'm freaking tired. I'm going to pull back this week because you're a human. Now we want to try to, you know, maintain our activity levels as best as we can. But I'm just saying that like, you don't need a certain like person to tell you this, to feel like, okay, like I have the permission all along to do what I want or what's best for me. Right. And for most Mm -hmm. of those people, if you're just being active, your health in your life. And I feel like those are the people that are getting the shittier messages, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. the ones being told that they need to do Pilates and yoga and then only hit and cardio. But Mm -hmm. the thing that's ironic is that I think I see the prescription flip in every post I see. Some tell you to only lift in the luteal. Some tell you to only lift in the follicular. Some tell you to only do (laughs) in the lute. Like they, 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 
very confused. I actually don't know what the consensus is from that community. (laughs) But you can train consistently across the month. But I love utilizing a rating of perceived exertion for like, if you are feeling fluctuations of those things, then that auto-regulation accounts for the sleep, your life stress, and maybe your hormonal fluctuations. And like, I think people forget that like, if your RPE is the same, but you're feeling great, you're going to indirectly do more or less volume. It's also regulating volume and intensity too. Um, They forget that that kind of controls for those things. And I think that's an easier approach for people who are just trying to get by their lives, right? Like think of how many people that are being inundated with this information that are like, Jesus, dear Lord, I can barely handle feeding myself enough protein and getting to the gym and following a routine and packing my kids' lunches and getting enough sleep. I have one more thing to worry about. And I think that like that's where this is creating more of a barrier versus saying, hey, if you feel crappy this day, like maybe do this and you'd feel a little bit better, right? And then there's the the group of people who do have performance-based goals. Like I have performance-based goals and I care about my performance, right? And the same things affect your training and stuff. And you're probably following a more regulated training. You're following probably following more of your routine eating schedule. You're probably a little bit more protective on your sleep. And at that point in time, if you're tracking your cycle for three to six months and you start to be like, Hey, I consistently probably don't do as well on this days, or I know this is coming, or you know what? I need something to help me manage these symptoms here. Because sometimes the symptoms that women and menstruating individuals are feeling are masking their potential, right? So we all hear Mm -hmm. people say, well, you can still perform really great during your menstrual cycle, or even if you're bleeding around your period. But like, that doesn't matter that women know that or menstruating individuals know that because they feel like trash. They feel like garbage. They don't (laughs) feel that way, right? So, so much of this is like, how do we get you to be able to keep training consistently, being able to perform how you want to perform while migrating those things? Like that should be the first step of like, how can we adjust nutrition, sleep, maybe supplementation to like migrate these effects of these hormonal fluctuations where the more you have control in your life, the more that variable is going to come. It's working up that pyramid, right? We have macros, Mm -hmm. hydration, like micronutrients, eating enough, supporting your body, hydrating, sleep, stress management, all that stuff, like making sure you have consistent, like good programming, right? A lot of things that people blame from the exercise industry because they say it's quote unquote made for men. No, so much of that crap is targeted at women. It's just bad. It's poor exercise prescription. Um, And then we can kind of get into this like, okay, well, how is this affecting me? Is it even affecting me? And that's where it comes down to this individualized thing. A menstrual cycle is different person to person. It's cycle to cycle. And so- Mm -hmm. That's why we can't give a one-size-fits-all prescription because everyone's different. Everyone feels yeah. shitty at different times of the month. Every, some people don't feel bad when other people do. And so some people feel like they fit the classic prescription of what's going around on the internet where others are like, that doesn't make sense for me. Like that's not actually like what I perceive. And so it really should be like the, the consensus from the field from like the top down is that it should be individual. And so I, I find that I think a lot of females and menstruating individuals, like they love this stuff because it makes them feel special and unique because they want something to be about them in the industry. But then when you say like it should be individual, like they're mad because they want a blanket prescription. I'm like, I'm saying that you are so unique and so individual that like, this is about you truly. And like your response and experience, not like another one size. It's like almost like they're like mad that we got a quote unquote men's one size fit all response, but then they're trying to shove themselves in just the next box over. And I'm like, no, you get your own box. Like you get your own, you got your own box over here. Um, 
And like, these are just like the classic messages. Like if you can read through these posts, mm-hmm. every single one starts with like the same sentence of like men have a 24 hour circadian rhythm. And we have a, we have a 28 yeah. cycle infrared rhythm that we're ignoring and fitness was made for men. Like it's cut copy and paste. And I'm like, you're oversimplifying and you're putting everyone in the same box as well. And that's just as harmful because everyone's experience is different. Right. And so to answer your question, that's my long about way. Yes. They impact performance. No, they are not going to be the crux of whether or not you finish your race or like have the best day or worst day in the gym. If you, but like you should understand them. So like if you're having an extra shitty day, you can kind of be like, why is that happening? And like, I think the biggest thing is that female trainees have a really bad habit of beating themselves up and blaming themselves for everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm like, I'm big about understanding your physiology in general, right? Like the same thing goes for like today, post about heat and humidity and running the amount of people who are like mad at themselves because running in the summer is harder. I was like, let's just pause and remove the self blame from this equation and think about what's different, right? Like let's like think about what's different here. And so there's usually like, I've always been a very big proponent of like understanding your own physiology. And so yes, there's at this point in time, small, minute fluctuations across the month. There might be differences in potential, you know, we do have two different hormones acting at play here. Um, but we have to zoom out. I think people throw the baby with the bathwater in the industry and they're like, well, nothing was made for us. So we should ignore it all and just make up hypotheses. And I'm like, we know a lot about how humans respond to fitness and exercise training. And like, we can't just like pretend or like how, our lifestyle affects our behavior or our outcomes. Like I'm like, we can't pretend like that just doesn't exist. Like, and only look at this one thing. We have to look at it all, all together, which is hard for trainees because like, or gen pop people who are like, I have enough to worry about and focus on. And that's why I'm like, for you, you probably just don't need to worry about this other than understanding Mm -hmm. your own body and physiology, giving yourself grace and just being like, Hey, this is just what I do every month. I take one extra day off or I backload this week or I front load this week. Like, okay, cool. You have an action plan of what to do, or you're not like beating yourself up because you had a bad workout or like you're just giving yourself grace, which you should be doing anyway. Like all this advice is things that like trainees and good coaches should be doing anyway with their clients. So Mm -hmm. a really long way of answering yes, but it's not your first priority. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that so much because the things that you can control, right? Like nutrition and sleep and hydration and supplementation, like those are the areas to put some focus into. And I found that to be true in my own personal experience as well of even just like hydration. And also, can you just talk a little bit too about nutrition? Because as I follow you and you're like, eat more, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. You're right. You're right. And I worked with a nutritionist earlier this year. And that was the most like for me, like deprogramming some of diet culture bullshit, like having science and like actually, you know, fueling myself for the muscle tissue that I have, I was like, oh, wow, I am not eating enough. And that is um, for so many people. Yeah, yeah. The number one question I get within the comments and my DMs and my emails is, I have this issue, what should I do for it? And I get when you've tried icing and you've tried stretching and they're not really working, you probably are looking for a simple program that you can do on your own that actually works. And that's exactly why I put together the Mobility Mastery Toolkit. The toolkit includes 30 days of exercises so you know exactly what to do to improve the mobility of your hips, your lower back, your feet, your neck, and your shoulders. 
Plus it comes with video demos for every single exercise and a full body mobility workout calendar so you can check it off. And again, you don't have to think about what to do. You just get it done. And with all of those resources, you're just 15 minutes a day from feeling stronger and more flexible. As a Body Nerd Show listener, you can save 50% off when you use the code MASTERY at mobilitytoolkit.co. That's right. Use the code MASTERY, M-A-S-T-E-R-Y, at mobilitytoolkit.co. And then keep me posted how it goes. I ran about this on my stories today. I think a lot of people think like they're like, well, I'm eating enough. And I'm like, but but are you right? Because of mm-hmm. course everyone's like, oh, America overeats, blah, blah, blah. But, but the populations we're working with are typically people who are not. And that's why I think people get so annoyed with me. I was like, I don't think you understand like a lot of the symptomatic issues you have with your menstrual cycle and your hormones or your stress or yep. feeling shitty. Those things are regulated with good nutrition, good diet, good lifestyle behaviors, like all of those things will improve these things. Like you might find, and honestly, like this is where like my, my position is kind of like almost backwards. Cause I think the cycle stuff, like maybe more negatively impacts like gen pop people, because maybe they're, they have a higher sensitivity to this, this, this stuff. Cause they're not regulating those things versus like when you get to elite people, it does make a difference, but they're more worried about how do I reduce this to like be able to keep performing or, you know, there are barriers to menstrual cycle and sport and stuff like that. But like, that's for them where we're like, okay, well like where can we maximize this for you to get like your minutes and seconds. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it comes to nutrition, like those people are more, I mean, there's definitely under eating in the elite athletes. I'm not going to pretend for a second, like eating disorders are not rampant in sport, but <laughs> hopefully for the most part, they have good nutrition people working with them. You guys listening to this aren't those people. So I'm going to talk to you like as if you're you. Um, I think that, so I'll give you the example. I just did a testing study where I got my, my metabolism tested across the whole day, resting, fasted, then across the day. And I ran it on my stories today that like, my resting metabolic rate is 1450. So I'm just to just to not just to basically function and just sit around is 1450. But my total daily energy expenditure from this whole study and all the multiple data collections they took was 2,800 plus calories, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a five, one female and I'm very active and I have a lot of muscle and I know that not everyone is this way, but like that seems outrageous to someone, right? Because right. if I told you that the amount of energy that I need to bring in each day is twelve to 1,300 calories more than I burn at rest, and you told that to most females, they would say, absolutely the fuck not. Absolutely mm-hmm. the fuck not. They would never eat 1,200 calories over their basic need to live because that would seem outrageous, right? And right. like, even to me sometimes, I ate 3,200 calories on Saturday because I was just ravenous. <laughs> And I think I underate a few days and I ate literally 500 grams of carbs. But like, I was like, mm-hmm. that my body is telling me that I need this and I'm just going to do it. And I recovered fantastic. Cause I just, you know, I'm in tune with that with training for years and years and years. It doesn't scare me anymore. I just was like, oh, I guess I'm back to that point in training where this is what I need to bring in on a Saturday. And it was just like, oh, okay, we're back. Like, this is where we're at now. But that people think that unless you're like an elite athlete, right? I watched a YouTube video a few months ago where T, Claire, Toomey and me were eating the same macros. And I was like, Mm -hmm. she's more fit than me, but I'm training probably like 60 to 70, 80% as much as Tia in a cut. So I was like, that makes sense. Right. Um, but anyway, I'm tangenting here, but I think that so many people are so scared of those intakes and they don't realize like what that does for their performance and their bodies and like their metabolisms. And like, I I put in my story, I think like the average person, I would assume that a, a woman, my size 
who doesn't have any of my background would probably think that 2000 to 2200 calories is probably what she needs a day. Right. Like she'd probably be like, Oh, I can't do more than that. Like I'm active. So I probably need more than 2000, but like, I'm not going to push it. Like keep your protein high, but they probably under eat carbs indirectly not understanding the role that carbohydrates play. And the biggest thing when it comes to people who have a lot of muscle tissue, a lot of training, a lot of performance-based things is that a carbohydrate component is huge and you can almost drive it up as much as like you possibly can get away with before you like, that's where like the rule of like carbs versus fat doesn't matter for fat loss thing goes out the window. Once you have performance stuff, yes, it does. You need more carbs and you need fat. That doesn't mean you're like restricting fat. It just means that like that carb component becomes more important because that's what's Ooh. driving your performance. That's what's helping with your muscle recovery. It's what's filling your glycogen stores. You're not necessarily storing all of that as like fat and excess. You're refilling your glycogen stores. So just going back into storage at the end of the day. Um, and so, and that's important because that's improving your performance. And if you improve your right. performance and you're driving your performance, you're expending more energy, you're doing more work. And by doing so, you're getting more fit. You're becoming a more metabolically like efficient person, when you improve your fitness status, you improve those fat weight pathways and improve fat oxidation and like carbohydrate metabolism, insulin sensitivity. It's not just, oh, I'm burning calories, so I shouldn't eat those back while I'm burning them. It's like, no, like you, like you're supporting all of these systems and what they do. And so, um, it's hard to say in here because it really depends on people's activity status, right? Yeah. Like there might be some people who like their version of under eating is just like, okay, like maybe we should like improve your dietary composition a little bit, bump up protein um, and like maybe a little bit more and call it a day and you'd be good, right? But then there's people, these very active people who are, you know, they still are taking what I call a diet industry mindset into a performance-based goal. And you can't do that. <laughs> you can't take the diet Fasted industry workouts, yeah. yeah. You can't take like the diet industry or even the bodybuilding advice into yeah. performance-based goals, right? Like you just, it's, it's, different. It's just different. And so, um, I think for so many people, they're just afraid. And I also think a lot of people are afraid of like that adjustment period of sometimes when you eat more, like you do gain weight before your body kind of like settles back out or like you need to eat more and it's uncomfortable to kind of figure out where that is for you. You know what I mean? And I, and I just mm -hmm. think that for so many people, it just feels like, well, there's no way I like, I can't do that. I can't eat that much. Right. Until they see it, it, and it, those things are so important for, you know, our performance, but also our health within that. Because like, again, like the low energy availability thing is more stressful on your body than any of these other things. And it's super important. And like, think about like how easy it would be for someone who's doing what I do to just eat 22, 2300 calories a day. And be like, that seems like enough. Like, that's good. Like underestimate their calculation needs on a, on a, on a, a macro calculator, be like, I'm not that active, um, and feel fine because their body's down regulating elsewhere in order to like maintain that physiological function of what they need. And that's when your bodies give out because there you have, your body's giving so much to performance or your activity that it doesn't have to give back to your body and it's physiological function. And that's when we get into trouble. And so it's hard for me to be like, here's a blanket prescription for everyone, but I'll give some general recommendations here. So the low energy, if anyone knows their lean mass, this is really helpful. And there's a free like photo app that called my maid, um, app and it's like pretty cheap and it takes a photo and it's a pretty good estimate. I tell people just to use that. Mm. I have a link for it. I'm technically affiliated with them, but I make like $4 every six months. It's not like I'm like banking in on the box <laughs> on this, um, but they're really cool. They're from the university of Alabama. I recommend that if you can take a good photo with that, if you can get an in-body, if you can get a DEXA, whatever. But if you don't know your lean mm -hmm. mass, you can just like 
guesstimate, but there's these values of like minimum standards for, for basic physiological function and health. And like, ideally you want to eat 45 grams per kilogram of fat free mass or lean mass per day. And so like in the examples with me, that's like 2,300 calories a day just to like keep supporting my activity and my physiological function. So like if say I was going to go on a deficit or cut, I probably wouldn't eat below that to support myself with that. Cause I know mm-hmm. based off my lean mass, that's kind of what I need. Right. Um, and then you go below that 40 is like, okay, you could probably get away with this, but that isn't great. And that's like 2,100 calories for me for that example that I was like giving earlier. And then we have 35 and like when women get below 35, Working with a menstrual cycle, that's when things like really start to go haywire. That would be like if I started eating like 17, 1800 calories and that would be just with my training level and trying to keep up with all that. And that's when it become very stressful on my body. Now, yeah. unfortunately, this is where we are different from men. Like there are differences between us and males and that men can get away with a lower threshold. They can eat less without the negative hormonal ramifications that we get, right? That's just because our bodies are, they want to reproduce whether we want them to reproduce or not. That just is the matter of the fact. So they're more sensitive to energy deficits. They're more sensitive to calorie deficits. Um, it's more stressful for us to, to endure these things. And so that's like the minimum intake of like what you would need to support physiological function. And that doesn't mean like you eat the minimum intake to support physiological function. Like I want to reiterate that, like that is not what I'm saying here. And that's what people hear. Um, they're like, well, this is fine. Then I won't die. And I'm like, okay, well, like, the, the, like we don't want to be like bare minimum hanging on to our health. And so the biggest things too is like protein and carbon intake. So fats, I feel like just always kind of take care of themselves. Like fats, I say fats find you. Like fats find you. Like you're never going to have an issue getting enough fats in if you just eat normal regular foods. Like they're in everything. Like they literally are Mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, That's not meant to be a bad thing. Like they're just in most of, unless you're eating completely strict, clean foods that are like individual macro ingredients for everything, for the most part- flavor. (laughs) you're going to find, you know, you're going to have guacamole on something at some point. So anyway, um, fats are important for health. Like, I don't want to dismiss that. I just think most people are having an easy time, find time getting fats. Most Americans overeat fats habitually as part of our diet. Like that's pretty, it's actually, we're overeating fats versus carbs. So like, that's a whole nother thing, but protein intake. So females, we, again, we have less lean mass, higher body fat. So you probably don't need to like, it's really hard to hit enough protein every day. Like that's something you're going to hear every female client on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, males do too, but I feel like, um, men usually are eating more calories. So it's usually, it's like the, and this is like a thing, like it's not just to men, like the easiest way to hit your protein target is to be eating more food right? Mm-hmm. Like I never worry about hitting my protein target when I'm training hard and I'm eating 3000 calories a day. Like that baby just sneaks up on me, whether I like it or not. <laughs> but like when I am in a lower volume training and I'm not training as much and I need to hit my protein and I'm like, Oh shit, I have to actually think about this a little bit more when I'm like eating less food. Right. So number one, eat more food. Like that's a really easy way to hit your protein target. Um, but I usually tell people to aim for at the least at the very least, their lean mass. If you know that, that's it. So I have 115 pounds of lean mass. So like if I'm having a really bad day and I'm having a hard time getting enough protein and I aim for like at least that. I typically aim for more, but like that's like my minimum of like, okay, this is just at least supporting my muscle tissue, right? One gram per pound of lean mass a day. Like that's my bare minimum of what I try to hit like every single day. Um, but otherwise I try to hit and recommend for people like on the lower side, like that 0.7 grams per pound. Um, but like that 0.8, 0.9, like trying to get up there. If you're in an energy deficit, bump your protein up. Um, if you, if you're in your luteal phase, you can even bump your protein up, but generally 
I would say just eat high protein across the month. Like that is a recommendation to bump protein up in the luteal phase because progesterone is more catabolic. But if you're eating high protein across the month, then it might not be necessary. And it's really like the recommendation is like a very small amount of grams. Like it's maybe 10 extra grams of protein. Um, But if you're eating like, you know, 0.8, 0.9, 1.0 grams per pound of body weight a day, you're probably like fine there. So only adjust that if you find that like you are someone who undereats versus overeats. That's not me also giving you a jail, a get out jail free card to not eat protein for the first two weeks of the month. <laughs> um, so like just take your body weight and multiply it by like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. Um, try to work up over time. And if you're someone who has like more body fat or you're in a larger body, you don't need to eat that recommendation. You can bump it down to your estimated lean mass. Um, some people say quote unquote, like ideal or goal body weight, but like not everyone's trying to have an ideal or goal body weight. Like they're fine where they're at. Like, I think that language can be sometimes not helpful. Um, so I like to just say like adjust the equation to be like maybe 0.6 to 0.7. So that way you're counting, like you don't need to be feeding your, your body weight to that fat with that protein. It's the muscle tissue and the stuff that you're trying to recover and support mainly. And then a little bit more. So giving yourself a little bit buffer over above that, but that's like kind of the math there within that. Now, Carbs are hard because carbs, carb intake, like everyone rags on carbs, right? Carbs make us fat, carbs the devil, haha. <laughs> reels making that joke. Um, and I'm victim of all of that. It's like that, that, <laughs> that Kim Kardashian audio that's like, this is so cringe, guilty. <laughs> like I'm making fun of myself here. Um, but this is the thing that I think a lot of people forget is your carb needs are dependent on your activity level, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just mentioned, I am increasing my energy expenditure, my activity levels up, especially my cardio. Cardio is incredibly carbohydrate demanding. And I know that my carbohydrate needs are going up. I can feel it because I know it and I've been doing this long enough, but that amount. So like, it's usually like, you know, the lower end is like, you know, you want to eat like the, they say quote unquote, 130 grams a day because that's minimum for brain health. But when we think about like performance and our health and our exercise, if you're not super active, you're not doing a ton of cardio, like, yes, you don't need as many carbs because you're just, your body isn't using them, right? You just don't need as much energy. Like that's pretty normal, right? Um, But when we get to these higher volumes of activity, we're talking about like five grams per kilogram a day, six grams per kilogram a day, seven, eight, nine, 10 grams per kilogram a day. Now, most of you are probably not training to the point where you need 10 grams um, per kilogram of body weight per day, but probably in that like four to seven range, depending on how active you are. Um, and that's something really just play around with like, kind of like when you're like, people are like, you're dieting or reverse dieting or whatever people want to do. And you want to try to like get away with the most that you can while making progress kind of with carbs or training and your intake, like keep driving it up and see if you can keep driving it up because your body might be using it. You might just like, I think so many people are eating like just enough carbs, but they don't know what it feels Mm -hmm. like. Like an actual enough and a great way to know that you're not eating enough carbs versus your training intake, or maybe your carb to fat ratio is off is like most of us at some point on the weekends are eating either in a surplus or up at maintenance or eating a little bit more. I think that's pretty consistent. Even if you're not overeating and indulging on the weekends, like I know that I probably eat like uh, a really high carb meal at some point in time in the weekend. Yeah, it's just like kind of like, I don't know, like we just like inadvertently or like this the weekend you ate a high carb meal, but then you go into a week of training and then you get to like Thursday, Friday, and you feel bonky. You feel like shit. You feel brain foggy. You feel extra tired, caffeine, hydration, none of those things are working. But then if you eat and you suddenly feel better, that's a sign that you were under eating carbs across the week. 
um, or within your training because your glycogen stores will deplete slowly over a few days. And then when you eat a lot again, it will replenish them. Then they're full and you feel great. So if your training starts to feel like shit later in the week or you start mm. to feel mental foggy later in the week, but then you suddenly feel better after you do that, eat that big meal on the weekend or you eat more on the weekend, that's a great sign that you need to be eating more carbs consistently across the week. Like I always joke about the story of in 2020 when I was training for my 100K, I thought I had COVID every single Thursday, like clockwork, like every other week. And I'd order cheesy bread and I'd feel better. So <laughs> I'd be like, that's it. We just, that's it. I have COVID. I have the symptoms. I'm so fatigued. I feel shit. I'm nauseous. I feel terrible. My training's awful. And then I was like, I couldn't fathom making any food. And then I'd order mellow mushroom and I'd suddenly be better. Like, and I'd say, hey, it's carbs. It's literally carbs. Like that's what's happening here. And that was early on in my training cycle. And sometimes I feel like it sneaks up on you. Like you start increasing your training volume and you don't like catch up with that over time. Um, mm-hmm. So those are like the things when I think about like, it's not that fats don't matter, but like carbs, calorie, and protein matter a lot when you have performance-based goals. Um, and we're talking about like what your body needs to recover and support those um, within your training. So to recap there, um, energy intake, low energy availability, you want to stay between that 40 to 45 grams per kilograms of lean mass per day at the least. That doesn't mean you can't eat more. That's just like, at the least physiological function here, but then like 0.8 to 0.9 grams per pound of body weight per day. If you're kind of like, you know, your regular, like average, you know, Joe. Um, but if you do have more body fat or you're in a larger body, you know, you could do bump down to 0.6, 0.7, um, just because you, you don't need quite as much. If you're ever eating in an energy deficit, bump that protein uptake up. That sucks because you're eating less food, but you need more protein, but like you can actually like kind of bump your protein down a little bit if you're eating in a surplus because you like aren't as catabolic. I know that's like opposite of what people would like. How dare. (laughs) I know it sucks. It sucks to eat less and have to also eat more protein. Like that's, I think the hardest thing. (laughs) This is why I don't do bodybuilding. Um, and then your carbon take will really vary. And so I have a free macro calculator that's pretty good if you actually put in your actual energy expenditure. And I have categories based off like, you know, higher fat, lower carb, but like not like in a keto type way. Like I don't let people go below the minimum standards of carb needs, but like if that's your personal palate preference and that works for you all the way up to like, I have higher carb needs type thing. Um, and people can kind of adjust and pick that based on themselves. And like, obviously it's never going to replace a true nutrition coach, but can give you a more honest perspective of where you're at and what that looks like for you. And it's totally free on my website. But I just think that that's like a really great place for people to start and don't be afraid to supplement with a protein supplement every single day. If that helps you get your protein intake in, especially for females who struggle with that, maybe you have a hard time eating that high volume of food. You know what I mean? Like maybe your appetite is there. Maybe you're training a lot and that's affecting that. Like it's totally okay to supplement um, with a whey or good blended plant protein that is like mixed um, pea soy ideally in order to get that target every single day. So that's my like nutrition spiel. Yes. No, I love all of this. Thank you so much. I can't wait to go back and like listen to stuff. But I also want to make sure if you are in perimenopause, menopause, does any of this advice change? <laughs> so this is what like gets me with the cycle syncing stuff is that like they're telling premenopausal women to not do intensity, not lift weights do gentle stuff for like almost two weeks of the month, right? Not all of the recommendations are that. Like some people don't have total garbage recommendations, but like that's a lot of this advice, right? But then when we think about what supports the peri menopause and menopausal transition, it's 
power, it's intensity, it's type two muscle fiber recruitment, it's lifting. And so I think that people think that there's like special recommendations for this time, but it's like every single woman or menstruating individual is premenopause and they should be doing strength and power and like muscle building activities. Like that should be the recommendation from like the time you're old enough to be active, right? Like that should be the recommendation. But especially so when you're starting to go through that hormonal like transition, loss of ovarian function, like gonadal suppression, as we like to call it, um, <laughs> loss of gonadal function. But you really want to make sure that like, one, you are continuing to eat enough protein. You, like that is super important in this time period. Supplement again, because like your appetites might drop a little bit. And I know a lot of people get increasingly conscious about the fact that you do get a body fat redistribution into the abdomen, but that's going to happen. Like it's going to happen to me someday and I'm going to probably be pissed about it too. <laughs> I'm going to be researching it. <laughs> and I'm just going to be like, oh, well, there it is. Um, but like the metabolic changes and influences are like, they're, they're small, potentially meaningful, but they're not, they're not as big as people think, but they're probably meaningful over time enough. Um, but when we think about like what we can do to support ourselves in the time, one, from a health standpoint, from bone and muscle loss, like continue to strength train, continue to eat protein, continue to do power moves, like strength train, like do high intensity stuff well-programmed and continue to do cardio training. Like cardio training in general really helps us support our metabolism. Like it's like, I think people think like cardio is like not good for fat loss and that's just like a misuse of it. But like, it really does support our pathways and energy systems that influence our metabolic health too. So like you want to be doing both. Like you're at a higher risk for metabolic disease because of these changes that are happening in your body. So like you want to be doing both, but like you should have always been doing both. So it's like, mm-hmm. It's not like the recommendations aren't the, I think it's like the same thing with the menstrual cycle. The recommendations aren't like necessarily changing, but the considerations are different, right? That's like men should be doing strength, power, aerobic activity. So should females show, but like the considerations, what that looks like in like relationships to that or experiences with that are probably what's changing and maybe like nutritional needs or other things of the behind the scenes of that. So, um, for people going through that menopause transition, like really like you want to hopefully have been doing weight bearing exercise for most of your life. But if not, this is really important because bone loss and the rate of bone loss is like kind of really crazy um, how quickly that can happen. And a lot of, you know, female or menopausal individuals, they don't realize their weights of bone loss or how much bone they're losing until they have a fracture. And so like, that's a really big issue. And so there is a lot of fear mongering also in the menopausal community right now on like intensity and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Cause like there is anything else. The reframing that I think a lot of people across the entire lifetime are missing is like, how do we support our metabolism and health? Right. Cause you spend so much of your life thinking, how do I get smaller? How do I like get away with how, how can I eat less? How do I change this versus like, how do I support my body? And then when things go haywire, we want to point our fingers at every, this, this, and that when really we just weren't supporting our health. We weren't supporting our bodies to begin with. So like, that is the advice is power, strength, muscle, type two muscle fiber, like explosive type weight bearing movements. But hopefully you've been doing that all along. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much too, for taking the time to share, you know, all that you've been working on and also to be sharing all that you're working on 
on the internet too, which is a very rough place. People are rude as shit. Um, So where can, I'm going to link to that photo app you talked about, your macro calculator and your website and all of that. And all that should be linked in my Instagram bio. So if you ever need anything for that on my website, (laughs) it should all be there. But yeah, I have all the things to say and more. So you can find me on Instagram as Docless Fitness, but that's my website is Docless Fitness, TikTok Docless Fitness, YouTube Docless Fitness. My podcast is called the Messy Middle Podcast. I should just change that at this point to the Docless Fitness Podcast, but um, <laughs> just to keep it consistent across the board. But my my website is a plethora of information. I mean, Instagram is where I mainly hang out, but I started to diversify, and you can find all of my information and content, like especially on the female physiology, menstrual cycle physiology stuff, organized really well on my website, on my blog, and as well as like the stuff that I talk about on YouTube and my podcast is all organized there as well and tagged. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can find that there. Otherwise, I'm probably angry ranting on Instagram or TikTok about how stupid some of these recommendations are. <laughs> and then probably getting yelled at by someone in the same week. So it's a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a joy ride out there. But I'll end this with saying like, there's obviously more of this conversation than like what we just talked about here. This is a very brief overview of everything. I have more information on these things, more to come. Um, And then hopefully my publications will be out soon too. Yes. Cannot wait. Well, thank you again. And um, if ever, literally there's anything else you want to talk about, please come back because I know that we haven't even scratched the surface. We have just touched the surface with that. Yes. there's. I could talk all day. So thank you so much for having me on. I mean, did I tell you that it was going to be nerdy or did I tell you that it was going to be nerdy? So we both would love to hear from you. So leave a review of the show uh, and let us know what you thought on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, or you can come find us on social. Alyssa shared her handle. I am on Instagram at Hala for Mala, or you can find me on TikTok at AE Wellness. Or if you have a longer question that you want answered or you want covered in a future episode of the Body Nerd Show, give me a call. Leave me a voicemail on the Body Nerd Hotline. That number is 818-396-6501. And I say this stuff at the end of every episode because I legitimately want to hear from you. And thank you to those of you who take the time to leave reviews, to send questions, to reach out, to let me know that you listened to an episode and you were like, oh, wow, like I'm doing this already or I didn't even think of that. I appreciate it all, like all of it. (laughs) So thank you so much for doing that, for subscribing, for reviewing, for sharing this episode with someone who needs to hear it. You know the drill and I so appreciate you. And don't forget that show notes, everything we talked about in today's episode, including all the things that Alyssa shared, fun links, free downloads, all things podcast related, live over at aewellness.com slash podcast. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, working out and lifting heavy and getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks, and bodywork is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. 
head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.